0: Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's.
1: Blue 58! Oh, New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker yeah. Bruce!
0: It's time to get
1: out the chalkboard and diagram some plays.
0: Here's where it all starts, right here. Let's play! Gee, money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Welcome, everybody, to the second training camp installment of Inside Football with Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor with Rick, who has 27 years of coaching background in the National Football League. We're taping this on Tuesday of this week. That's an off day for the Colts at training camp, which is presented by Corson Fire and Security. The Colts will get back on the practice field tomorrow. That's Wednesday and Thursday of this week ahead of their first preseason game on Saturday afternoon in Buffalo. Rick, good to be with you again, my man. And uh, as we said, leading into that first preseason game against the Bills, you're going to be in the TV booth for that game. You're leaving me for the dark side. More eyeballs on TV. I understand.
1: Rightfully so. Uh, this is a tough one, though, man. Got to bring my sport coat and tie, got to <laughs> shave, got to have my hair cut. I mean, those are tough issues for me at, at this stage <laughs> in my life. I, I like coming out there and just getting in that radio booth, but I'm looking forward to, you know, to working with Greg here for three three weeks and then jumping back into the booth with you. Yeah,
0: right where you belong on the radio side of things, man, where you've got all the time in the world to break it down. That's what we're <laughs>
1: doing here today,
0: audio-wise, on N side football so let's begin with a little bit of a progress report rick we're about two weeks into camp heading into that game on saturday pretend you're the head coach are the colts where you want them to be where you think they need to be at this stage in camp
1: well you know it's pretty interesting i would say that and i and i give more credibility back to the padded practices than anything else that i can evaluate now and and we won't know and you know this you've done this for a long time now we won't know how good this team is until September 11th we'll get we'll get indicators but we won't know till we really play a game for real um what i have seen at this point in the four padded practices is that the defense has dominated those practices now uh that can be good it's hard to evaluate exactly what that means i do think that our defense is vastly improved. It's, it's very fast. Um, you know, bringing in an Ingakwe and a Gilmore, uh, getting Blackman back, I mean, those things have added tremendous, you know, tremendous optimism for us on defense, and you see it on the field. You know, and it's probably, I, I always fought this as a defensive coach, but it's probably a little bit easier to get your defense advanced quicker um you know uh, you know with our defensive staff but to me you know our defense has played on a on a higher level in pads than our offense now from an offensive standpoint i think one thing that is misleading on what i just said is that you know basically you tend to you know focus on uh you know the spectacular plays the the wild plays, which, you know, come or don't come in the passing game. Uh, everybody evaluates how many times the guy got to the quarterback, what the percentage is, and they kind of lose sight of the fact that I, I think Jonathan Taylor's made a ton of yards. I think he's made a ton of yards, which, you know, so has Hines. Um, you know, Lindsey has as well. Um, you know, I mean, you know, and Jackson. I mean, all those guys, to me, have made the running game look pretty good, and I don't think it's as noticeable in a practice session, you know, as it will be in the games. I I think where the defense has dominated us, though, uh, dominated our offense is in the passing game. I I don't think that, you know, I think I see a lot of talent at receiver, and I'm optimistic about that talent either staying healthy or developing. But I think that, you know, basically our secondary linebackers have dominated basically day after day in the passing game. And I don't think that our receiver core has established himself at this point, you know, as, you know, as dominating players. I mean, they've been, you know, they've had flashes of brilliance, but not the consistency day after day. And of course that's critical. I think the talent is there, but that's going to be critical on September 11th. I mean, the two things that we have to do, we have to improve on is obviously protection uh, and obviously, uh, you know, basically receiver impact. Uh, The running game will be there. Matt Ryan will be there. Those things I do not worry about. But those other things have to be there. At this point, I would say that the defense has the edge in that regard. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I would completely agree. I mean, we saw that on, on Monday's practice towards the end. It was hard for the offense to move the ball yep. against the defense in a two-minute drill, a four-minute yep. drill simulated there at the end of a half or the end of a game. Um, you know, Frank Reich announced, I think it was over the weekend, that that generally speaking that the starters will play roughly a quarter in Buffalo, but even that it's it's based more on the number of snaps and, and the number of series than it is just hard and fast one quarter. Um, probably not play at all in the Detroit game that because you have those two joint practices earlier that week with the Lions. And then play a little bit more in that final game against the Bucs to a degree. How much do you think that the guys, those front line players, need to play in order to, as you always say, be combat ready before the regular season? I know Frank saying what he said over the weekend is probably a positive thing in your mind.
1: Yeah, you're you're preaching to the choir here. You know, I am uh you know, we talked last week in the podcast about about practicing at noon, you know, and I said how much I like that basically simulating heat, sunshine uh for Jacksonville and uh the body clock, practicing at the time that you're going to play the majority of your games. Okay. Why are you doing that? You're doing that to simulate game conditions. Okay. Now, to me, the 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 contact phase of it is an extension of that i think our practices in contact have been really good they've been aggressive they've been smart um i think frank has instituted something that i haven't seen and really like is when the young kids get in against one another they actually scrimmage they actually go live it's actually a live drill so you know those we're evaluating those guys uh, the new kids, basically, in live combat situations that you you don't get. I think that's an interesting thing, but I do think, and and I actually, but with Frank and I talked a little bit on Sunday at practice. You know, after he had announced this, is I I told him how much I liked it. I mean, I just feel like that again. You simulate all other things. You have to simulate the contact part of it, and you cannot play sc- You cannot play uh, scared. Frank Cush told me years ago in 1982, and nobody had more contact and less injuries than he did, is a team will come to whatever level you demand. If you demand that kind of contact kind of daily, or knowing you're going to get it in games, you're going to go out and get it. And I just don't believe that you protect guys in August. If you do that, I think what happens is it's at the expense of a lot of injuries in September, which we've had, And I I think it's also good in that Frank is sending a message to everyone that these are things we're going to do. We cannot afford the slow starts that his teams have had, you know, the eight straight openers that this team has had. We just can't. We cannot afford that. And this team has to be ready. And we can't have a slip up at Houston or Jacksonville, you know, because we're not ready. If we if we weren't good enough, it'd be different. And so, you know, I look for certainly a quarter in this first game. I don't know if I agree totally on the Detroit scenario, um but I understand that the practices will be super aggressive and you know in in that regard I can, you know I can I can I can tolerate it, I guess. But I would come back and I would play a quarter and a half and a half in that last one because you have two full weeks uh between You know, the last preseason game in the opener, which I never had that. We always had to open the following Sunday, and you were also – and plus you had four games. So, you know, I'm glad that he's thinking that on both edges of the three-game schedule that he is going to play his veterans and play them and get them ready cuz i just i just believe it matt you know i i sound mm-hmm. like a broken record and i i'm not a dinosaur i kind of like the pra- the way practices are structured today i like the gaps i like like today uh you know as an open day they can get caught up on all the tape and things like that you know i like that stuff i never believe that 6 weeks of two days you know, was the answer. I always felt like after a while we were just sawing the sawdust. And so, yeah, I'm very high. I think he's setting the right tone here and he's setting the right message. And, again, don't play scared. Just go out and get it and get ready to win that opener.
0: Yeah, new year, new players, uh, new coaches on both sides of the ball. Let's let's pick up there because the Colts – have a new defensive staff, Gus Bradley, Ron Miles, Mike Mitchell's here, Nate Olley on the defensive line, Richard Smith, and then John Fox is kind of a big picture guy, as you talked about last week. From what you can gather so far, how are those new coaches on the defensive side of the ball, how are they helping to get the best out of the players in a new scheme so far in this camp?
1: Well, one of the reasons I think that the defense, again, looks as sharp as it does Uh, does have to do with, uh, obviously, the staff. And I I said this all along. When you bring in a guy of Gus Bradley's uh, quality, uh, you're going to go forward. You're going to go forward emotionally, schematically. Uh, He brings kind of that it to the program. Anybody that's around him, you like him, you rally for him. Uh, He is a a charismatic figure, as I said last week, in in kind of a rugged kind of way. But I think the other thing they had going, Matt, and I knew this, is bringing in Miles and Richard Smith with him, uh, and then bringing in John Fox as an experienced, with a wealth of knowledge and different systems. This, there was no learning curve. There was no, uh, you know, assembling a defense. The defensive system is there. It's in place. They've been through two different programs with it, and you know, different first-year programs. So they were ready on day one. It's a matter of getting it across to the players. Um, you know, I think you have a great combination. You know, in my list, you probably have the premier secondary coach in the National Football League at this point in time, to, to, you know, tested and true. Richard Smith has been coaching linebacker since Mickey Mantle was playing center field for the Yankees. I mean, he's great experience, and John Fox has done it all as a coordinator head football coach, very, very successful career, kind of under the radar. But you put that experience together, here's what you get. First of all, you get instant credibility when those guys walked in. There was no, you know, I know that those veterans bought in immediately because of the presence. You know, there's instant adjustments out of those guys. You know, those guys, if something comes up that they haven't seen They have so many decades of experience they can say hey listen that's exactly what happened in 2003 at denver remember what we did there's no there's there's not a lot of i have to go google it and figure it out and then all of those guys are guys who grew up with with things that i like and i call it coaching on the grass so many guys today are ex-players which is good but there's a learning curve as far as teaching and then a lot of the young kids that come up come through the computer field, come through the almost the uh, the joystick Madden type of game as you go, and there's a learning curve. Now the young guys, I like what they bring. I mean, Ollie brings a real enthusiasm. You know, take your seat belts off and go. You know, Mitchell, uh, Mitchell and June bring uh, you know a, just kind of a hunger. And enthusiasm, and the ability to communicate with young players. So, I mean, I think it's a tremendous blend. I think you've seen the results already. Hopefully, it continues as the season goes on. But again, I, I think those things combined uh, really, really make me feel good. When I, when I leave a practice. You know, I feel like this defense is really well-coached.
0: All right, that is the coaching staff. Let's talk about the new addition player-wise on the defense, sort of those new kids on the block. They all look to be having terrific camps so far in their own rights. Stefan Gilmore, Unique Ngakwe, Brandon Faison. I want to start with Gilmore. And he looks <laughs> so in control, just so chill out there, as the kids say, right? He's never, he's, he's never panicked, uh, just so poised. I mean, Ricky, he picked off Matt Ryan the other day in practice during a seven-on-seven drill. We all heard about that. Frank talked about that. Matt Ryan talked about that. That iron versus iron or iron sharpening iron this time of year. How you know blessed the Colts offense is to go up against a guy like Stephon Gilmore every single day in practice to make them better in the passing game. Is it crazy to talk about Gilmore playing at the level he did a couple of years ago in 2019? A guy that looks healthy. Which hasn't been the case in the last two years due to a quadriceps injury.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's really amazing. One of the things Frank said to me on uh, on Sunday when we were just chatting, he goes, "Gilmore's your type of corner," and I went, "Amen, brother. <laughs> he really is." <laughs> I think, he, in, in
0: fairness, he's everybody's type of corner.
1: Everybody, he's everybody's corner. Exactly. Um, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, when we were when we were getting ready to, um, you know, to sign him um I went back and looked at last year's tape because you know I had watched him uh at New England over the years in in game plan studies and there was no finer corner I mean there if if you want a modern day shutdown corner in 219, that was Gilmore I mean Gilmore and and this is one of the best compliments I can give him I mean he changed Bill Belichick's whole view and whole approach to defense bill was always a zone mixed man but a zone more than anything various zones nuanced zones but when he got gilmore he became a hard pressing man-to-man and their defense just jumped substantially and remember gilmore was the match corner he matched the number one guy in the league every single week and shut him down and because of it unheard of the comms defensive player of the year as a corner That's just i mean you got to go back to the deon sanders and way back you know to the mel blunts and guys like that to see that kind of impact when i watched him last year i saw a very good player i you know i didn't see the 219 maybe shutdown guy but i saw a guy that it would improve us immensely even if he just played at that level when I watched him in minicamp, I thought, you know, it just doesn't quite look ready. It looks good, but not quite ready, physically. But I'm telling you, since I've since that since I've been to Grant Park, I mean, he really has been terrific. I mean, he is smooth, uh, smart. He still has that great talent, ball skills, late in it down, which you can't coach. And I mean, just what an addition, just the presence. Just think of Alex Pierce. I just, you know, what what you hope is that Alex realizes that once he gets in the real world, they ain't going to be Gilmore there every day. I mean, every day you line up as a rookie and there's Stephon Gilmore sitting across from you. Right. You want to talk about learning under fire. But I think that, you know, I think that he just brings, again, the two areas of football you know, we go back, and I always bring it up because I'm not going to walk away from it. We have to improve. We're 29th in the league in the fourth quarter on defense. And there are two reasons. We could not generate an edge rush, and we couldn't play clamp-down coverages when we have to. Right. Well, when you get a guy like Gilmore and you team him with Kenny Moore – And I think one of the keys, we'll get into this later, depending on what happens as the third corner, I mean, we're going to be able to play a lot more clamped down. And Ron Miles coaches the hell out of the press. It's it's going to be better just on technique this year. Mm -hmm. Trust me, no matter who plays. But Gilmore brings that veteran presence of greatness, you know, and I – like I said, since I've been in Grand Park, I see him a lot closer to two nineteen than to two twenty one you know and and you know and I say that with all due respects because that is a that's a that's a guy really that's a star waiting to break out again
0: well, the other part of getting better in the fourth quarter it's being better in the secondary it's also getting more pressure yep. that's unique in Gokwe. what are your expectations for him this season is he a ten plus sack guy and change the game like he's done in the past, like the Colts saw all those years with him in Jacksonville last year with the Raiders is unique Ngakwe poised for another breakout season under Gus Bradley here.
1: I think he really is. I you know, and I, I think, you know, the you know, they always say that the best indicator of the future is what you've done in the past. And he's he's just he's I mean, he's got fifty five and a half sacks. I mean he's he's a ten year guy. When you when you go out on the field, you say that guy right there, 91, he's going to give you 10 sacks minimum this year. I mean, just in my mind, in my in my world, the way I look at it, I mean, that's a 10 sack guy, and then maybe better, uh, because and what he brings, and we haven't really had this. Uh, I think we have guys that may grow into it, but we haven't had this since Mathis, you know, much less Freeney before that. We haven't had. That guy that can run the edge, run the blind side, you know, run. I always call it run the hula hoop, run it up, run it back down um, with speed, with tremendous burst. And and, and, and to me, that coming off of that edge makes everybody else better. Number one, it'll make Quiddy pay better. Quiddy now can play you know what i kind of refer to as the power end they call it the the left end but it's the power end he's a guy that will line up on the left not always because they'll move in around for the matchup but he will be the power guy and that's kind of his game right now and it may be his game for a long time he can start up the edge but he looks best when he starts up fast this is quitty and comes down hard right down the middle of a tackle and right tackles are vulnerable to that move, and so what you have is you have in Ngakwe a guy that can speed rush the edge, legitimate, which we haven't had. You have a speed to power guy, and then if you're worried about your ends, you know you have one of the top three techniques in the league in Buckner, and hopefully that takes an edge guy takes a little stress off Buckner, you know, and gets him into that tax, you know, that ten sack range. I mean, he had he had nine two years ago here and, you know, without a ton of help, and then went back to seven last year because it diminished. And then whoever the third guy is, you know, when you get into the nickel situations, whether it's Dio, uh, you know, a dingbo, or, you know, if Lewis can make that, you know, that thrust back in, that that becomes like the fourth rusher inside. I guarantee you, that guy will be one-on-one all day. There'll be no help on him the whole season. And, you know, those are the kinds of things – Ngakwe gives you that domino effect. The other thing that's really cool about him and I didn't realize this on him. I should have, I guess by watching the tape, but you never know a guy till you really have him in your, you know, every day great motor. I I mean the guy just goes from mm-hmm. sideline to sideline all day every day. I mean it's 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 really fun to watch. I mean you take a you take a playoff on him, yeah, he he's gone.
0: And right, then that third guy that we talked about, sort of that new kid on the block you know, on defense, Brandon Faison. He's been running a ton with the first team offense. It looks like he has the leg up as far as that third corner spot is concerned in nickel packages. Where is Isaiah Rodgers in that competition for you right now,
1: Rick? Well, I probably should recuse myself as they say in the <laughs> legal world because I'm, you know, I'm pretty much an unabashed Rodgers fan. Um, I think Rodgers uh has skills that you can't teach the speed is uh the speed is on paper i mean he can flat fly he's in the four threes um he has great late ball skills he can come out of the blind spot and find the ball probably as well as anybody on our team maybe with the exception of gilmore i mean he you know you'll see it flash almost every practice he'll make a great pick um, he is not accomplished at the line of scrimmage, and not the biggest guy in the world. So, his issue is getting better at press coverage, um, you know, getting better job of you know handling guys at the line of scrimmage, so he doesn't have to play from recovery. He never seems to. Um, it, it seems like a coaching staff, the last one, and even this one. And this is just an observation by me. It's they're slow to warm up to him for some reason. But then, once he gets his opportunity to play, after about two games, everybody starts saying, "Boy, that guy's really got it." You know, Faceon is a guy who has played for Gus and Ron in the system. They're very comfortable with him right now uh, because he knows exactly what they want. You know, he basically is in their system. I think he's got the edge early because you know and and a lot of coaches are all the same, you know we all we all have some comfort zone players that we feel confident <laughs> are gonna be in the right place all the time mm-hmm. and and, and face on had a good training camp, you know he had a really good breakup last night um i mean i you know he's a guy it's gonna be interesting uh he may end up you know starting the season, but Never, never, never count Rodgers out because I, again, I think he has superior skills, and once they play him in games, he will grow on them.
0: All right, one final one on defense. You know, let's talk about a guy that that we haven't seen just yet. That's Shaquille Leonard. Um, still oh, on, God. yeah, still on pup. We probably will not see him you know, on the preseason game field. I'm not sure what the timeline is. In fact, there is no timeline. Um, so unsure if we're gonna see him on the practice field at Graham Park before the regular season. He missed a lot of time in the OTAs, missed time in the mini camp. The Colts feel good about, you know finally targeting the issue that that has caused his uh, pain in terms of the ankle and the lower leg. What is your confidence level, though, in Leonard when healthy with really no time on task in a new defense if it comes to that point, just kind of grip it and go in a new scheme, playing in that scheme for the first time in a regular season game?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal. There isn't any question about it. I mean, we we talked earlier about you get good at football by playing football. And, you know, the more time that you miss – there's no question about it. It'll put a stress on you coming back. It does look like it's going to be a while. So, I mean, I think we all – and kind of knowing that ahead of time is probably best for the club because, you know, Franklin's got to know, Speed's got to know. Those guys got to – you know, they step – they've got to step up, and Franklin has had a really good camp anyway. But, you know, now in terms of, you know, when he gets back, I do think there are some things in his favor. Okay, number one – in his position in this defense, now this defense has is similar to the one we played before, which with much different technique involved and much more nuance underneath in the pass coverage. But in his case, at what I call the will linebacker, the runner, okay, there is a lot of similarities. So there's there's a lot of things with his experience. That will be pretty easy for him to grasp. I think. I don't. I don't think he's going to have a big learning curve within the defense because of a lot of the positions. His is probably more constant uh, in terms of uh, carryover. Uh, the second thing is is he is. You've heard me say this. He is a very unique guy. I. You know, Leonard is a guy that. You know, I I always kind of call him a wild card. He's a wild card linebacker, but he's a wild card in that, you know, he is a guy, and I like to quote Liam Nielsen from uh, Taken, you know, he he has a particular set of skills, you know. He has the ability just at the right time in the game, at the biggest moment, to make a play. He may not have been playing well the whole game, but he has a way – when it's on the line of just getting that ball out. I've Mm -hmm. never seen anything like it. He's the best ball stripper I've ever seen. And he'll pass up a tackle now sometime to get it. He's kind of like that poacher on the farm. He just poaches, (laughs) just like he waits to steal your chickens, and then he goes and gets them. But, you know, it's so I, I think in that respect, he isn't, you know, he's not a classic linebacker. He's not a classic masher. He's a you know he's a running hit guy you know really good on coverage uh, re- you know but but just instinctive so you know, I think once he's healthy, uh, you know, I think he'd make it back pretty quick. But I think the other thing, I think it's good that we have to address it. You can't keep putting him out there on one leg. I mean, it, you know, because right. again, right. you just you're not going to get that guy. It's going to only fall off. It's now it's not going to come back, and you're not going to get how good he is. And we have a couple guys that can play. You know, we may not, and we talked about this last year, we could be a better defense and not have as many turnovers. I mean because he is the turnover machine. but yeah, I, I think once he's fully healthy, that would make so much difference to him and and I think I, I think in terms of his learning curve, it would be quick.
0: All right, one final one, we've been focusing primarily on defense. I want to talk about offense. One guy on that side of the ball before we end who's really having a great camp, Andrew Ogletree for the tight oh, end man. position, and it's, it's, he's got a great story. He's only been a tight end for about a year, uh, one year at, at college in Youngstown State after he transferred from uh, a D2 school in Finley, Ohio, and Frank Reich said he's looked natural, jumped right in. Is, is he a sleeper to get more playing time and contribute more than we initially thought? Or I guess, in other words, Rick, where is he right now in relation to Jelani Woods, who the Colts picked up in the third round?
1: No, I mean, I think, you know, I think in a sense, in a sense, I think sleeper is a good term, you know, because so much was made, uh, you know, about Jelani and so forth and so on for good reasons, and Jelani is playing better than people think. He just has not been the primary receiver on a lot of plays. I thought Sunday he had some outstanding blocks on the edge, you know, which nobody's going to talk about but a geek like me. And so, I mean, there isn't I, – I don't think it has to be a disparaging note that I think Ogletree is probably ahead of him. In my eyes, Ogletree is really an interesting guy, you know, at six six, two sixty, 260. But, you know, when he puts – it's interesting when and, – and, and guys are like this. I mean, when we had Eric Dickerson, when Dickerson was in street clothes, he looked like he was right off the – you know, he was right off of Rodeo Drive and a normal guy in Los Angeles – but the minute he puts his pat, he put his pads on, he got huge, you know. And I think, you know, it's hard for me to describe this, but to me, in my eyes, when you look at Ogletree in pads versus Jelani, and there's really not a difference. But I mean, what's his? The, uh, Ogletree just looks so much more massive right. in his pads. He's six, he really he's six seven two sixty. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he looks so much bigger. But he carries himself with great body control. You know, the catch he made, um, was it Friday or Sunday, the one-handed catch in the red zone was tremendous. He's really, really productive. I'll tell you what he really has is body control. I mean, he can, for a big, tall guy, you know, he can move in and out. I mean, you know, he was a really good basketball player um, Mm -hmm. in high school. Uh, You know, I mean – and and again and again, you know, I went, I did do one thing. I will tell you one thing, and I hadn't watched it before. But after we drafted Ogletree, I did go back and watch the hula ball where he was the MVP. And I'm not sure if our guys weren't even coaching in that game, but anyway, he made a couple terrific adjustment catches, balls that were thrown behind and outside, and I was really impressed with that All Star game. And man, if he hasn't carried that right into the uh, right into the hunt, it's just—it's right. amazing to look at that tight end room. With the exception of Granson, mm-hmm. I mean, that looks like NBA power <laughs> forward. We're getting ready for the skills Indeed. camp, you know. And 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 and, and Allie has Allie Cox has been sharp too. I mean, but yeah, Ogletree really, in some respects, of the rookies, he and Cross really have stood out. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, let's fast forward to Saturday, uh, first game in Buffalo. Again, put your coach's hat back on. What is going to make this first preseason game against the Bills a success? What do you want to see in terms of progress for the team at this point in camp coming up on Saturday?
1: Yeah, I. you know, and, you, know you and I have been through a lot of these openers, and it, it never really changes in my mind. And I'm so glad that, you know, he's going to play the top guys for a few series because, I think you have a kind of a double-edged sword. You have kind of two goals in the in the opener, um, actually in the preseason period. But what the first goal is when your top guys, when your ones are in on defense and your ones are in on offense, to me you want to win it. I mean, you don't win it at the expense of a game plan or you know doing those kinds of things. But you want to execute. You right. want to go out there. These guys have gotten all the high quality reps these are the guys we're counting on September 11th. I want them to go out and play well, and play as a unit and show us what we can expect. You know, again, it won't be it'll still be a snapshot, but I've always felt and I have always coached my guys that uh when those ones come off, I want you to have won that contest. I really do. I I want you to have won it. I want you to show us that this is a legit contender. And, you know, we're playing against the high-flying Bills, and, you know, the last time we played them in the opener, they played their guys early. And, uh, you know, although I think we're their worst nightmare in terms of opponent, but it's a really good test to get started with right off the bat. And then I think the second goal in the game is all your young guys and new guys, what you want to do is you want them to flash talent. You don't expect the execution to be perfect. There's going to be mistakes. But each and every guy that we brought in here, you know, one through 90, is here because Chris Ballard and the coaching staff saw something in them and saw the ability to bring them here or they wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they all have good metrics. So what I want to see from the young guys is show us what you got. We don't expect you to be perfect, but show us that skill level, that talent, you know, make a play, you know, and get that done. And then and then I guess in the um, you know, I think in the in the overall picture, you want to come out there more combat ready as we talked about already. That's obviously an objective. And then I think too, what you really do is you you begin as a coaching staff to establish the baselines on your team. Where are we? Where are we really? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we have to address? You know, what looks pretty good, what we're where do we mean you know, maybe we got a problem that'll come up that we have to fix quickly.
0: All right, Colts and Bills, Saturday, four o'clock in Buffalo, preseason game number one coverage. On the radio side of things, begins at 1 o'clock Eastern time on the home of the Colts, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan, and also in Indianapolis on 97.1 Hank FM with the Colts' pregame huddle. And then at 3 o'clock, it's countdown to kickoff, 4 o'clock kickoff. And, Rick, you you realize, I mean, we're two weeks into this uh, doing inside football. We're going to blink. Training camp's going to be over. It's going to be like a, a dot in the uh, the window. And it's going to be like week five before we know it, like that that's oh, how this I'm, always works
1: I've always said that you know I've always said that. it is once that opening day of training camp happens, <laughs> man, you're on it. Sherry has a sign you know it's it's funny. She had a sign from our early days in our marriage, and it's a sign that says, "We interrupt this marriage for football season <laughs> I mean, in, the, in the venturi. Can Stanley, I borrow that?
0: I need to borrow they're, that. They're,
1: there's no deaths, there's no marriages, there's <laughs> no children born. Nothing happens from the beginning of training camp yeah. until the playoffs.
0: Well, it makes the other seven months pretty jam-packed, too, in their own right.
1: Oh now Well, nowadays, you know, <laughs> the NFL, there is no off season. I Indeed. mean, the draft, as you know, we do it together. The draft has become a season to itself, free agency. You go right from the draft into mini camps. I mean, one of the reasons that all the startup leagues – you know, can't get a go and can't get a handle is they th- they think they're playing in the offseason. There is no offseason. Right.
0: Yeah, they're playing in March. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you March is like the, the third busiest month of the year for the NFL in terms of free agency and all that's going on, especially this past year with all these trades. So oh, you're, yeah. you're exactly right. All right, Rick, hey, have a great call on TV on Saturday, and uh, we'll see you back here on the audio side of things next week when we do the podcast again.
1: All right, see you on the plane, partner. You got Rick Venturi
0: right there. And as always, for the latest on the Colts, check out Colts.com, the mobile app, and subscribe to everything on the Colts, on the Colts Audio Network all year long for podcasts, radio shows, and player interviews. We've got you covered. For Rick Venturi, I'm Matt Taylor. Thanks for listening to Inside Football here on the Colts Audio Network.